I thought Rachel was going to pray then. I didn't expect that. There are some things that used to happen in schools that don't happen anymore. And one of those is in PE, I don't know if you had to do it, you had to bring your bag with every bit of PE kit depending on because what could be the PE of the day. You didn't know if, whether it could be swimming, whether it could be rugby, whether it could be badminton. So you had to bring a lot of kit with you. And when we got to PE, the thing we really didn't want, because as well as the different sports, you'd have the different teachers. And there was a particular teacher, we'll call him Mr. Cooper, because that was his name, and... Firstly, if you knew you had him, you're in for trouble because he was rock hard. He used to train rugby across England. He was one you didn't mess with. But also, his favourite thing was the bleep test. Does anyone remember the bleep test? We still do it in schools nowadays. I get quite excited when I see it. So you're allowed to do this, but some of his techniques were a little different. And so they bring out the big tape recorder you know, that was sort of about that big, and you, they'd plug it in in the sports hall or where they could outside, and then what they would do is set up some cones 20 metres either side. And what you had to do was go from the one cone to the other cone, which is easy. And then there would be a bleep. Boop. And you would have to have got to that beep before the beep. If you got there after, you were out. And it starts off very slow. Boop. And then everyone, you can almost walk the first. And then you get to it. Boop. And you go back. And there's a number of the same speed. I think it's about 10. And then it goes. Boop, boop, boop. End of level one. Start of level two. And then you carry on it. You go. Boop. And it gets faster and faster. I think it goes to about level 15. And astronauts and people who really need that lung capacity, they can go very far, but it just goes on and on and on. So far, so good. This is fairly what most PE teachers would do. However, I wasn't particularly into sport. So the first few times... I'd drop out at about level four, level five. The problem with that is, if you were in level four, five, you were then in what Mr. Cooper called the fatties and the weedies group. <laughs> now you can see what we're not allowed to do nowadays. For the record, I wasn't a fatty then, I was a weedy. And my nickname from Mr. Cooper was Lloyd's because I came out with that many inhalers and tablets and stuff for PE, because I knew what he was going to put me through. But after a while, some of us, the fatties and the weedies, got together. And we said, we don't want to be fatties and weedies anymore. We had to have it in the canteen, because obviously the fatties wanted to meet there. <laughs> and we decided we were going to train. And we were going to get ourselves better. So the next time, like, I don't think we did, like, real massive, massive training, but we sort of, at home, were running about more, and in the playground, we were trying to do our best to sort of get better. And then the next time, we're going for it. And it got 
end of level five. Doo -doo -doo. We were in level six. We'd never been there before. And we were loving it. And we got about halfway through level six. We all looked at each other. And we were like, that's it. We go down. The end of it carried on. Alan Jew, he went on to about level 13 because he was cross-country for the county. And we're like, yeah, this is going to be good now. We're out of the fatties and weedies. And he said, oh, I've got an announcement today. The level for the fatties and weedies has gone up. <laughs> it's gone to level seven. Now, that put some people off. So some people were like, no, that's it. We're done. We don't care. And then they'd drop out at level three just to spite him. But there were some of us who were like, we're going to keep going. And actually, the day I got to level nine was the day he shook my hand and went, well done. I knew you could do it. So however controversial his techniques were, and don't ask me about when he used to get boys standing with their hands over their heads and throw a rugby ball at them, but that technique for me actually showed I could improve, I could do better. Let's read Hebrews 12. I'm going to read it in little vignettes rather than all together, and the different parts that we're looking at are going to come on the screen. So Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he enjoyed, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will grow weary, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Today is entitled The Greatest Call, how we live this Christian life, especially in the midst of problems. And throughout the New Testament, the picture is often used of a Christian being like an athlete competing in a race. In Corinthians 9, it talks about discipline is a key to winning. And here in Hebrews 12, we're encouraged to lay aside anything that must hinder our spiritual development to stay focused on Christ. Straight away, when we talk about a race or running, some of us might think, oh, I feel exhausted by this. You may think, well, that's not my thing. That's not my bag. I'm going to sort of switch off here because I'm not a runner. Maybe you used to be and you passed it or you just don't want to do that. However, there are others of you who do a park run every Saturday morning or a 15K before breakfast. Well, wherever you are on your running journey, don't let this metaphor put you off the spiritual truths that it has. John Piper says there's a restful side to the Christian life and a wrestling side or a running side. Mary talked about the restful side in Hebrews 4. But we'll see that in uh, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. It also says in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But there's also that struggle. Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, strive to enter by the narrow door. 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And that word strive is to agonize, that real struggle. At the end of his life, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Keeping the faith is a fight to be fought and a race to be run. So there's, when we talk about what Mary did in Hebrews 4, you might go, well, hang on a minute. You've said a need to rest and a need to run. Which do I need to do? Well, actually, the main aim of our wrestling is to rest in God. Not in money, position, or looks, or achievement. It's to rest on the promises of God. And also, all the wrestling, the running, the fighting, are done with a deep restfulness of the spirit that Christ already has won that decisive victory for us. Sometimes you might go, well, it's hard to think of that, but that's the truth. That God has done that, and he can work in us and bring us to that glory. The book of Hebrews is very real when it comes to the pain and stress of Christian living and the endurance that it takes to run that race and to finish well. Many scholars have actually said it's often not a book that people who are new to the faith, so new Christians and teenagers, would gravitate towards unless they have suffered and struggled for a sort of explanation of how that relates to God. In other words, these scholars say, the more easy and pain-free your life has been, the less you will cherish the teachings and truths in the book. And the more you've suffered, the more you'll cling to the precious teachings of the book if you're willing to believe them. Remember that the book of Hebrews was mainly written to Jews. That was the audience who became Christians. And as a result of their conversion to Christianity, many were facing problems. The problems the readers of, of Hebrews were going under were fierce adversaries. We don't know like names and we don't know exactly who they were, but enemies coming up against them. We know there was property taken from them. And we know that Christians were thrown in prison. Many people were cast out of their families and being urged to turn their back on the new faith. Almost if you want to see your family again, you will get rid of your faith. You will come back to the Jewish teachings. What's important is to look at this passage with what comes before us in Hebrews 11. Because, as I said, often when people look at Hebrews, they just dip into the famous verses and the famous chapters with Hebrews 11. And we often nowadays split things into neat chapters and verses and forget the flow that the original readers would have experienced. Last week, Rachel was on Hebrews 11, and when she went into Hebrews 12, I was a bit like, get off my land, that's where I'm going to be next week. But actually, the whole thing is that flow. And in Hebrews 11, Rachel helped us look at the heroes of the faith, and we read, especially at the end, in Hebrews 11:35 to 38, we read about those Old Testament believers who were tortured, they were mocked, they were whipped, imprisoned, sawn in two, destitute and homelessness. And then that goes straight in, because remember, the chapters and verses weren't there at the time, goes straight into 12.1, where we hear the call for us to lay aside sins and weights 
and run the marathon of radical love and holiness. And these saints or heroes of the faith witness to us that it really can be done by faith. Remember, the writer knows his audience and he knows that the vast majority of the people reading or hearing Hebrews would have a deep knowledge about the folk who were mentioned in Hebrews 11. He effectively tells stories to show these people, you can do it. These massive figures in the Jewish faith, they overcame great troubles and tricky situations or because of their faith in God. The message version says this, do you see what these means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans are cheering us on. It's great to be cheered on, isn't it? Yeah? Now, I don't know if you know this because I don't mention it that much, but I did a half marathon a couple of years ago. And I did the half marathon in Birmingham. And it's brilliant, Birmingham half marathon, because you go around all the places that you know, if you know Birmingham fairly well, and there's crowds everywhere. And you have your name on, the, on your, what your ticket on the front of you, and so they're going, go on, Phil, go on, Paul, go on, Rachel. And they, and they do that, especially if you're struggling. Now, after I did the Birmingham Half Marathon, I was looking at other ones to do, and I booked in for the Warwick Half Marathon, because I thought, that'll be nice, wouldn't it? There'll be castles, there'll be race courses, it'll be lovely. However, I was told, don't do it. Don't do Warwick. I went, why? And so, because all the crowd are in the town or the city town centre, isn't it? They're there. Nobody is in the uh, lanes and the countryside where you go for the majority of the run. So actually, people go a lot slower on that half marathon because they're not cheered on. They're not used to, they, they almost get flagging in the middle and only when they're back at the very end are people cheering them. Obviously, well not obviously, but on Monday, I went to Wembley to cheer on Aston Villa. Because you see, Kev, a proper fan goes to the stadium. <laughs> and cheering on is great. I'm very good at cheering on. Obviously, there are certain words in the songs we don't do. And so, but you cheer on and you're going for it. But more important is, I don't think Jack Grealish or Mo Salah is there going, oh, I can hear Kev's in the crowd today, or it fills in the crowd, oh, that's good. It's their goal is the most important. And for another reference that I know you're all into, has anyone watched Ninja Warrior UK? Yeah, me and Will at the moment are training to do that. And at the end... Actually, I'm surprised how many people watch that. It's like, I thought you were all on God TV. But at the end of the heats, there's a wall. And I don't know how high it is. Let's say it's 12 feet. It might be. And it's got a little bend at the bottom. But they've got to run up and jump and pull themselves up. And most of them do it very easily if they get to that stage. Because they've got to go through different trials. And they get there and they go. But some people struggle. And then they try once, and they try again. And the commentators, who I think are at the top of the wall, are shouting down to them, look up. Because often what they don't do 
is when they're focusing on their feet. I need to get my feet up. And they don't look up. And that's when they fall. So we've got these witnesses cheering us on. But also, the writer is telling us to look to Jesus. And again, the writer is showing us that Jesus can identify with what we'd be feeling or going through. Who, like the heroes, endured, a hor- or many of the heroes, endured a horrible death and was shamed, but knew there was a greater prize. You may have heard of Roger Bannister. He was the person who did the, f- the first person to run a mile under four minutes. And that was in 1954. And this was a massive feat that had never been timed before. And however, after he did it, it opened the floodgates. Lots of people were able to do that. And his great rival was a man called John Landy, who went faster than Bannister a few months later by a couple of seconds. And then they had this big race where in the August of that year, they were going to see who was fastest. And in the last lap, Landy was in the lead. And he knew he could run faster than Bannister. And he knew he was in pole position. But he started to wonder where Roger Bannister was. And as he sneaked a little look and looked back, Roger Bannister seized the momentum and overtook. And Landy later told the press, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. Now the writer is bringing the legacy of suffering up to date and applies it to the believer, the believers of his day. In verse 3 it says, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And it's normal for Christians to have experiences of stress and suffering that threaten their faith and press too hard or last too long and feel almost intolerable. intolerable. Losing heart is a great spiritual danger. We are told to run the race with perseverance. And I don't mean perseverance who lives in Tipton. It's, yeah, thank you. It's the quality of perseverance, of keeping going. But these Christians, and Christians then and Christians today, often in times of great danger, in times of difficulty, the easiest thing is to give up. Verses 7 to 13 says... Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed." So firstly, when you get home, get the weights out, get those feeble arms sorted out, get those bingo wings sorted. Not that I know what they are, but get them sorted. But 
in that passage, it's very common for people to read this and interpret the hardships as divine punishment. God getting us back for things. The Hebrews reminds us there is no punishment for those who have been forgiven through Jesus' death. Where those have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. That's Hebrews 10.18. Hebrews 12 says about our loving Father will discipline us. But discipline is not punishment. It's hard training, but a form of love. For the Lord disciplines those who he loves. Hebrews 12.6. So let's not interpret our hardships as as God's punishment. But it says he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. We want to be fruitful, don't we? We want to do what God wants us to do and do good things in God's eyes and enjoy friendships. And through our work, often we can encounter hardship, money troubles, lack of power, maybe hostility from others. And endurance and perseverance may be the last thing on our mind. And sometimes in those struggles, building a church and a community with Jesus at the center, again, can be the last thing we want to think about. Many of us can be in the situations like the Hebrews. Maybe we're not having the threat of being imprisoned or sawn in two, as was in the heroes of the faith. But many of us will think, well, there's just no way out of this. The easiest way is to give up get out of the race, cocoon ourselves away and just pull the bed sheets up around us. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. Florence Chadwick was a pioneering swimmer in the 1950s and was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. One of the next challenges was to swim from Catalina Island to the California coast. And I've looked this up, and it's about a 22-mile swim, which for a lot of us, we go, whoa, that's big enough. But you'd think in California, it'd be nice and warm waters, wouldn't you? But actually, the waters were freezing. And the other issue was a dense fog, which meant you couldn't see in front of you. After 15 hours, the cold and the effort had just got too much for Florence. She gave up. She was within under half a mile of a goal. And she said afterwards, if I'd seen land, I'd have made it. Not long after, she attempted the challenge once more. The conditions were similar with freezing water and fog. But this time she made it because she kept reminding herself the land was there. With this confidence, she kept going and achieved a goal. And in fact, she broke the men's record by two hours. It may seem much easier to give up, quit, change jobs, whatever, slack off, pursue justice of our own. Or we may just grow weary and lose heart. Remaining at our work or remaining where we are, but losing interest in doing it as a service to God. May God give us the grace to endure difficult situations, and wisdom to know when to stay and when to go. The hardships we face in our work, Hebrews says, can be means of God's discipline to us, to grow us into more faithful and useful servants. We cannot maintain integrity, serve others, 
and pursue reconciliation, the things that Jesus shows us in the midst of difficult, hostile environments. How can we become like Jesus, who, as it said earlier, endured such hostility against himself from sinners? We'll then move on to verses 18 to 24. And that is entitled, in most Bibles, something like the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. So let's read from verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be sown to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So here we have two mountains, the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. Straight away in your mind, you might think, well, you know what those mountains look like to you. What does it actually mean? Well, the mountains, even though we're talking about a, a metaphor again here, they were real mountains. The one was Mount Sinai, and the other was Zion. Sinai is associated with the wilderness where the Israelites roamed. Zion is outside their city of Jerusalem. Where Sinai has darkness and gloom and storm, Scripture talks about Zion having thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Sinai represents the old covenant that God made with the Hebrew people. Zion represents the new covenant God has made with all people through Jesus. So Sinai and Zion, the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. We should note that the writer to the Hebrews does not tell us to choose Zion over Sinai or choose joy over fear. This isn't a path like here's how you get from there to there. It's not a how-to manual. This is a statement of reality. In your faith in Jesus, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem with the thousands upon thousands of angels. We're already there on the mountain of joy. That's what Hebrews says. So we're here on the mountain of joy, but here there is blood. Here there is also pain and suffering. But the blood, and it comes from the peace with the cross. What Jesus did by dying on the cross for the sins that we did. Here we hear the better word. The word of forgiveness instead of vengeance. The word of faith instead of fear. The word of justice instead of oppression. The word of light instead of darkness. So wherever you are, whatever you're feeling... In your race, remember, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. And when it feels like we're on that other mountain with the darkness of gloom and storm, when the fear threatens to overwhelm us, we must listen for the better word, 
for the good word, the good news, spoken through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. So let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus has set us free, but often we may not feel free. We feel the weight of our old sinful nature as we feel it trying to distract and crush us. Thank God that in our weakness, his grace is strong enough to hold us, that Jesus took us in upon himself so that we could be in the right relationship with God, regardless of how we feel. As a new driver, I haven't quite got used to the petrol gauge yet. And sometimes I'll forget about it and get very, very close to running out. Luckily, I've got the 50 miles um, thing that comes up on my dashboard. I think if not that, I'd have been stuck in Bilston a number of times. Sometimes... Spiritually, it's very easy for us in our race to run out of fuel. Before, I did a half marathon, I know I don't talk about it a lot. We were told to make sure you have your carbs, bulk up pasta the night before, porridge early in the morning. But spiritually, it's often easy for us to run out of fuel, spiritual petrol. Sometimes it's accidental, and other times it's because everything else around us can drain us of our energy and focus. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It says we should be renewing our mind, similar as filling your petrol tank. Well, how do we renew our minds? Our minds are renewed as we spend time in the company of other believers, as Hebrews 10:24 says, who they get us to do love and good works. Our minds are renewed as we spend time reading and meditating on God's word and keep us going. Our minds are renewed as we think, as Hebrews 12.2 says, about our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ, who should be at the centre of our attention. If the bank could come up, please. If we want to go anywhere spiritually, we must keep our spiritual petrol tank going. The moment we stop thinking about, the moment we stop trusting, we stop renewing, we can begin that emptying process and maybe head for trouble. So in conclusion, ask the Lord to help you not to fixate on your sin, the problems around you, but to rest and focus on him and delight in his grace. As a church, we want Jesus at the center of our community. Well, as I was writing this, I was in my lounge, and I looked what was in the center of my lounge, and it was the coffee table. And I thought, well, actually, if I think what's the most important thing in my lounge, it's not my coffee table. That's something we got free a number of years ago. It just serves a purpose. We don't want Jesus in the center of our community, like my coffee table, where it's there physically, but ignored. We want it that we keep our eyes and hearts fixed on him and not become distracted by our own messiness. He is strong, though we are weak. So as we pray and worship together, thank him for his grace. Walk in bold confession and delight yourself in his love for you. Ask him to help you, whatever situations you're in, whatever you're feeling, to help him to see him for who he is. And to trust him 
no matter what your circumstance. And for some people, I think that's what your witness this week is going to be for people around. People who come to you and say, this is too big. And you're going to encourage them to see Jesus for who he is and help them trust him no matter what circumstances they're in, that they can fix their eyes on him. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you for the promises you've spoken over our lives. Help us to rely on you to be strong and press forward. Help us to choose to let go of things that would hold us back from boldly embracing everything you have in store for us. We pray for those who are struggling, who need you beside them. Help them to know when to run and know when to rest. Give them a confidence in you and help them to be able to fix their eyes firmly on you. In Jesus' name, amen.